Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from Sputnik Radio, NHK Japan, and Radio Havana, Cuba. We will begin with Sputnik Radio. On his program called Sputnik Orbiting the World, host George Galloway spoke with American journalist and radio producer Randy Credico from WBAI in New York City and the legendary Christmas Coup comedy players. Randy is a friend of Julian Assange and talks about the British prison wedding of Julian and Stella Assange, how different our knowledge of world events might be if Julian had not spent the last three years in a maximum security prison, and how Americans are being gaslighted. He points to the political resistance that some American entertainers used to express, how fear and censorship are curtailing any questioning of the military-industrial complex, and how public radio is the only safe haven for any dissent. Even Anglosphere commercial political comedy is superficial, and our mainstream news media is not scrutinizing what is being reported about war, energy, and the climate change. Sputnik Radio. This week, in a cruel yet pathetic series of spiteful decisions, the British authorities sought to spoil the wedding of the world historic journalist and publisher Julian Assange and his new bride Stella, mother of the couple's two young children. It was degrading, diminishing, not for the world's most famous political prisoner, but for us, the British. One man who has carried the banner of press freedom and liberty high in the United States is a friend of the couple, American artist Randy Credico, and he joins us now. They must be glad that Julian Assange is behind bars at this point in time, because otherwise his powerful illumination of the truth might just be exposing some really dark corners. What do you think? Absolutely. Uh, how much have we missed uh, Julian Assange being ensconced in, in this? Uh, really, it makes the Tower of London look like a, a nice place. At least you have windows there. He's been shut down for three years. There's so much he could have given us, shown some light on uh, around the world. But it's not to be. And I think that they're very happy to have him there. And uh, that was the whole plan. They don't want someone like that to get information, put it out. Who else are they going to give it to? If he's there and he can't operate, who are they going to give it to? He's the only person that really knows how to run WikiLeaks. Once upon a time, in the 1930s, in the 1940s, uh, there was a solid body of people in the entertainment industry, in the arts, in culture, who resisted. McCarthyism, who resisted witch hunts, who resisted 
the Manichaean tactic of black hats and white hats, goodies and baddies. How did your trade, your your background, how did it all go so rancid? I'm just reading Paul Robeson's uh, autobiography. He was one of the ones you're talking about. And then all the, you think of the Hollywood 10, Dashiell Hammett, and others that spoke out. Some ratted, uh, some caved. There was plenty of people. They got blacklisted and they were willing to go to jail. You don't have that now. Roger Waters is, you know, since Harry Belafonte, there hasn't been anyone like him. So you got him today and Susan Sarandon. No one's speaking out against what's happening right now. And there is fear across the country. I can't even talk about this. I can do it on my radio show. There's one place where it can be done in the U.S. And I did it the other day on Pacifica Radio with Dennis Bernstein and on my uh, radio show, WBAI, because it's listeners supported. And uh, we can say what we want so far for 60 years. And it's always, it was built on an anti-war, anti-Cold War programming idea way back in the 50s. That's the one place that's a safe haven. Other than that, this country is getting, getting gaslighted across the land. Uh, they're banning Stoli, even though Stoli's made in the U.S. Uh, they're banning books, uh, you know, Tchaikovsky, music. Dostoevsky brought that up the other day. And I think maybe it's because the U.S. fears that the book Crime and Punishment is a metaphor for what the U.S. is. They're the Raskolnikov uh, character here, and they're trying to shove it off on somebody else. The blame uh, for what all we've done over the last century. Plus, that's only on foreign policy, but prior to that, uh, this country is really, underneath it all, a black hat. And we have to call it as it is. I mean, I love I love the country, but it's really in a bad way. It has been. And uh, I don't have much say in it. I really don't. Most people don't have much say in it. There's something going on in D.C., the corporations, the military-industrial complex, all of that. There's things going on that we have nothing to do with, the big oil companies, uh, big tech, all of that, that that's controlling this and uh, pulling the strings. Unfortunately, this country has gotten a steady diet, a very bad, a, a prisoner of war type of diet. That's what we've gotten because we are a prisoner in our own country when it comes to culture, when it comes to uh, books and it comes to theater. There's nothing out there, George. There really isn't. It's almost uh, as bad here, maybe just as bad here in the United Kingdom. There's something specific about the Anglosphere, isn't there? Uh, of course, it's bad throughout what they call the West, which is 10% of the world's population. But the Anglosphere, your country and mine, is the heart of darkness, don't you think? I think so. And it, it's, it, it cuts right through comedy. You know, we have commercially Saturday Night Live, which has never been political. They wouldn't even know how to analyze what's going on uh, in the European theater right now. They would have no idea. And everything they do is superficial, but it's the most popular uh, show comedy wise on television. And that's the one people watch. And all they do is get some headline stuff. And it's it's about maybe Joe Biden can't sleep. Uh, it looks like he's sleeping or uh, Donald Trump's hair. Uh, there's nothing of any substance on that show. There is a glimmer out there. I don't see it in the movie industry. I really don't. There's nothing coming out there. People got to make documentaries. That costs a lot of money to make documentaries. They're all self-financed. Uh, they're looking for the, the big, the 
big, uh, you know, uh, Rocky type uh, movies, uh, not even Rocky, whatever they, Superman, uh, stuff like that. They're not looking to do anything. You remember all those films that Oliver Stone uh, made back in the in the 80s and 90s, all the way up to JFK and, and beyond. Uh, you don't have anyone of that ilk right now that has broken through and can get financing and, and produce movies that really send a powerful message and explore. We're not inquisitive. I mean, I'm just asking questions. If I ask questions about how did this thing start in, in, in the Ukraine? How did it start? People like, what's wrong? Uh, you, you, you support the invasion? I said, I'd like to know the genesis because every conflict has a genesis, okay? And uh, stop using these Nazi references, for Christ's sakes. Haven't you done your research? You read The Rise and Fall, The Third Reich. Have you seen the movie Night and Fog? That's The Third Reich. And so stop using those kind of outrageous uh, analogies because all you do is that you're cheapening and lessening the severity of what the Nazis did and fascism did uh, back in. And and by the way, I want to bring this up. I want to bring this one point up. Uh, you know, we'll talk about Russia. Russia was the only country that came to the aid of the democracy, the best democracy in the region in 1936, and that was Spain. All of the Western democracies looked the other way. They, they wouldn't help out. Russia was the only, USSR, was the only one that supported the Spanish Republic against uh, Hitler and Mussolini and Franco. They were the only one. And no one ever brings Amen. that up. And yes, there were Americans that went. Yeah, well, some great Americans were there, but in a private capacity. And you're a great American. Randy Critical, thanks for joining us. That excerpted interview was by George and Gayatri Galloway from their program called Sputnik Orbiting the World on Sputnik Radio, the current name for the Voice of Russia available online at rt.com, where you could hear the entire 13-minute interview with Randy. YouTube is now blocking everything broadcast by RT or Russia Today. As of this episode, the shortwave report has completed 25 years of surveying and excerpting international radio broadcast and creating 30-minute compilations. I began the program on KZYX Public Radio in Mendocino County, California, and after four years started sending CDs of the show to a dozen other public radio stations in the U.S. In 2002, I changed delivery to MP3 so that stations and listeners could receive the program on demand, and a few years later, podcast commenced. I want to thank everyone who has supported my efforts for the past quarter century. On to NHK World Radio Japan. The United States and Philippines have launched their largest ever military drills in the South China Sea. A week after quasi-emergency measures against COVID were lifted, there are strong signs of a rebound in cases in Japan. NHK Japan. The U.S. and the Philippines have launched their largest ever joint military drill. With the show of strength, Washington is signaling its presence in Asia as Beijing steps up its military activities in the South China Sea. A ceremony marking the start of the 12-day drill was held on Monday in Manila. Nearly 9,000 personnel, over 5,000 of them from U.S. forces, are taking part in the exercise called Balikatan, or shoulder-to-shoulder in Tagalog. This exercise that we're holding this year uh, shows the 
strong uh, relations that we have with our allies, uh, specifically the United States. The two sides will conduct drills across the Philippines, including landing exercises on a beach in Luzon Island. The Philippines is complaining of fresh harassment by China in the South China Sea. The country's Coast Guard said on Sunday a Chinese patrol vessel came dangerously close to one of its boats earlier this month, 200 kilometers off Luzon. The incident happened near Scarborough Shoal, which, is, which China seized effective control of in 2012. The Coast Guard says the Chinese vessel came as close as 19 meters to the Philippine ship, and the incident was the fourth since May 2021 in that area. The Coast Guard said such behavior by Chinese patrol vessels risks a collision. A little over a week after coronavirus quasi-emergency measures were lifted for 18 prefectures in Japan, there are already signs of a rebound in cases. A panel of experts has voiced concern about a seventh wave of infections and stressed caution is needed. The nationwide number of new infections in the seven days through March 29th increased for the first time in almost a month and a half. It is necessary to keep a close watch on the situation to see if this upward trend leads to a rebound. One expert said one of the reasons for the rebound is the increase in infections among younger people due to gatherings during spring holidays and graduation ceremonies. The reason for the increase is that the Omicron variant is easily transmissible and its subvariant BA2 is more likely to spread. If infections continue to rise, it will be necessary to take measures on the assumption that the sixth wave won't be the last. The expert also stressed that vaccination can curb the rapid increase in infections and urged people to get booster shots as soon as possible. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 7355 and 6165 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Standard Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show which I freely distribute to radio stations and the internet like listeners in Bloomington, Indiana and Eureka and Albion, California did this week. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with Radio Havana, Cuba. Mexican President Obrador confirmed that the 2014 case of the missing 43 teachers is continuing with new revelations. The Peruvian Congress rejected a motion to impeach President Castillo. Bolivia is delaying the start of the trial against Janine Añez. A UN Human Rights Special Rapporteur called on the Colombian government to crack down on violence against indigenous people. A U.S. general told Congress that Iran is expanding its economic and security aid in Latin America.
Deaths from COVID in Europe are on the rise again. Then a viewpoint on Biden's call for regime change in Russia. Radio Havana, Cuba. Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador confirmed on Tuesday that the investigation into the disappearance of 43 teachers from Ayotzinapa is ongoing. His statements came after it was revealed recently that Mexico's armed forces knew that 43 student teachers who disappeared in 2014 were kidnapped, then hid evidence that could have helped locate them. Angela Buitrago, a former Colombian prosecutor, said that from the start of the search, the group of independent experts found that authorities falsified or withheld evidence. Buitrago said investigators, prosecutors and military personnel altered crime scenes and records. A government drone video obtained by the experts showed marines and police climbing around the area where the students were allegedly killed. The students from a radical teacher's college were abducted by local police in southern Guerrero State, who presumably killed them and burned their bodies. According to experts, the students were under surveillance because of their college that a strong ties to left-wing social movements in Mexico was viewed as a hotbed of subversion. After the abduction, investigators sought to resolve the crime quickly through illegal searches, detentions and the torture of suspects. Meanwhile, Mexico has asked the Israeli government to extradite Tomas Zeron, a former top security official who was the head of the Federal Investigation Agency at the time of the abduction. He is being sought on charges of covering up the disappearances and of torture. On Tuesday, Peru's Congress rejected a motion to impeach President Pedro Castillo. Castillo thanked lawmakers who on Monday debated his dismissal for hours. The motion to impeach was put forward by Peru's right wing, alleging that Castillo had, quote, a permanent moral incapacity. The conservatives, however, fell short of 87 out of 130 votes needed to achieve their goal. Castillo said, quote, The Congress of the Republic has to understand that the education and health of the Peruvian people are above political confrontation. This small group that has not achieved its mission will continue to push its own agenda, but my administration will follow the country's agenda. During his defense before Congress, Castillo asked parliamentarians to vote against political instability and in favor of democracy in Peru. His lawyer, Jose Palomino, pointed out that the 20 arguments put forward in the dismissal petition had no legal or factual basis and were an excuse to remove Castillo from office. Castillo said after the vote, quote, good sense, responsibility and democracy prevailed and I call on everyone to move forward and work together to overcome the country's great challenges. The first anti-corruption sentencing court of La Paz in Bolivia decided on Monday to suspend until April the 4th the start of the trial against Janine Aynes, the former de facto president. Aynes became unwell during the hearing before the start of the first trial. She is in court for the role she played in the coup against former President Evo Morales and in which the prosecution has requested the maximum sentence of 10 years in prison. According to her relatives, the health crisis of the former de facto president was verified by the medical staff of the Miraflores prison where groups gathered to demand the maximum sentence against the former president. 
A statement from the Minister of Justice indicated that the accused and her team of lawyers interfered in the hearing via virtual means to meddle with the process. The ministry said, quote, they reflect an obstructive attitude and contrary to the constitutional right to have judicial decisions within a reasonable period of time and without delay. Agnes was charged with alleged irregularities in her capacity as a senator before taking office in November of 2019. She was accused of breach of duties and of passing resolutions contrary to the Constitution. Mary Lawler, United Nations Special Rapporteur on the Situation of Human Rights Defenders, has called on Colombia's government to crack down on violence against indigenous people in the southwest of the country. Referring to recent reports on the murders and forced conscription of children in Cauca, Lawler said it is extremely alarming and worrying. She made this urgent call to take action in response to the murder of Briner David Kukunyame, a 14-year-old environmental guard from an indigenous reservation in Buenos Aires municipality. She added that the government must investigate these cases effectively, provide reparations for the victims, and dismantle the groups that generate the violence that is seeking to control the Nasa people's territory. Likewise, government must adopt preventive and protective measures for the communities and support the strengthening of the NASA people's own organizations and self-protection strategies. The UN Special Rapporteur on Extrajudicial Executions and the Committee on the Rights of the Child have enforced the call made by Mary Lawler. The NASA people have said that they have been suffering an extermination campaign for years and have organized multiple protests to demand attention. The National Indigenous Organization of Colombia stated, quote, It is unacceptable that social and armed conflict continues to annihilate indigenous people in a war that is not ours. Fourteen of the 24 homicides that have been registered this year in Cauca respond to members of indigenous communities. The indigenous people in the region have been facing an increasing attack since they are trying to reassert control over the territory that was controlled a long time by the now disbanded FARC guerrilla group. U.S. General Laura Richardson, head of the Southern Command, stressed in a session before Congress on Thursday that Iran is expanding its economic and security relationships with Cuba, Bolivia, and Venezuela, allowing it to defy sanctions by Washington and its allies. General Richardson indicated before the Senate Armed Services Committee that, quote, Iran expanded economically and security its cooperation with Venezuela, Cuba, and Bolivia through fuel transfers, barter, basic foodstuffs, and military assistance, reducing the effects of the U.S. sanctions. Richardson specified that Iran's support to the exchange of goods has been particularly important in helping the Venezuelan government of Nicolas Maduro to evade sanctions. Venezuela and Iran, two countries united by a common vision of international relations and victims of coercive measures by the United States and its allies, have had diplomatic ties for over 70 years. These ties became of strategic relevance with the arrival of the late commander Hugo Chavez to power in Venezuela in 1999, who built a bridge between their revolution. Likewise, after the triumph of the Islamic Revolution in Iran in 1979, Havana and Tehran maintained a strategic alliance and bilateral cooperation ties in energy, housing, trade, industry, education, agriculture, science and technology, amongst other sectors. Both countries have supported each other in different circumstances and condemned the aggressive measures of U.S. imperialism against them.
After completing the vaccination program for three quarters of the population of the European continent against COVID-19 and the receding of the Omicron wave, some European countries started to ease pandemic restrictions. However, deaths from the virus continues to grow. According to Our World in Data, over the last week, more than 6,900 people died of COVID-19. The week before, about 33,000 worldwide died of the virus, of which 40% occurred in Europe. The global COVID-19 death toll has grown to over 6.1 million, with more than 1 million across 31 European countries. Rebecca Foreman, a health policy consultant at the London School of Economics and Social Sciences, the LSE, says, quote, I think it's important to make clear that this pandemic is not over despite the fact that many restrictions are being lifted across a lot of high-income countries. In fact, many countries have dropped restrictions as free testing and mandatory self-isolation for suspected cases or people with mild symptoms and face-back requirements. These measures come following the high rate of vaccination and the ebb of the American virus. More than 72% of the population have completed the vaccination of two-dose programs and more than half are receiving the booster shot. Although a high vaccination rate might not be enough, the lifting of mandates could mean, Foreman said, governments are making themselves more vulnerable to being blindsided again by this disease. Meanwhile, Annie Sedekia, a researcher at the Irish Think Tank, says, quote, the EU's vaccination rate is good, but it's still not enough. Diplomacy is working over time to try to qualify the crude statements made by the President of the United States, Joseph Biden, who during his recent tour of Europe sent ethics and good manners for a ride when he insulted his Russian counterpart, Vladimir Putin, and called to remove him from power. There were varied reactions to the unfortunate phrases of the head of state of the White House, who sometimes seems to be determined to make the world not miss at all the foul language that his predecessor in office, Donald Trump, lied to display. There were those who, in their eagerness to correct their boss as quickly as possible, made the situation even worse, as happened to the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, who, on a visit to Israel, got even more entangled with words. The head of the U.S. diplomacy said that Biden was not referring to removing Putin from power, but that he should not be empowered to wage war in Ukraine. Clear, right? With sharp sarcasm, analyst Francois Heisberg said, People always talk too much. Why do Joe and Tony feel the need to vent when they would be better off refraining at this point in the war? Republican Senator James Rich called Biden's words a terrible gaffe and called on him to stick to what the script says. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov called Biden's remarks troubling and reminded him that it is not up to the United States president to decide who is in power in Russia. Even Washington's two strongest allies in the European Union, France and Germany, immediately dissociated themselves from the White House diplomatic blunder. The French head of state, Emmanuel Macron, warned against an escalation of words around the armed conflict in the east of the old continent and assured that he would not use terms like those of his U.S. counterpart because he's still talking to President Vladimir Putin. I think we must stick to the facts and do everything possible so that the situation does not get out of control, Macron told French television. 
Similarly, Germany's federal chancellor, Olaf Scholz, repeated that achieving regime change in Russia is absolutely not in the plans of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. In short, if Biden's trip to the other side of the Atlantic, where he attended a NATO summit, a European Council summit and visited Poland, was to demonstrate the unbreakable unity of the anti-Russian alliance, it must be said that he achieved precisely the opposite. Those reports and viewpoint were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website has been working well at radiohc.cu. No podcast up there. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140 and from 6 p.m. to midnight at either 6000, 6060, or 6100. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.